Hello everyone, I am Travis Crokin, a column scribe, and I'm joined with my fellow scribes. I'm LJ Stanton, the pedantic scribe. I am TR Albee, the oddball scribe. Welcome scribes, how are you all doing tonight? Doing alright. It's supposed to be cold outside, but it feels like spring, so I'm, I'm very confused. Yeah. California, it's... It always feels like spring. You know... <laughs> 72 and sunny i can't really complain <laughs> yeah I, i'm in canada i should be buried under a blanket of snow and under a blanket fighting off the cold but it is unseasonably warm today it's actually 15 degrees celsius but we're having some wild wind storms coming through because that's what happens when weather changes the weather but apart from the weather forecast today we are going to be talking about the rule of three so the homework or the, sorry, the recommended book of the month for last podcast was any children's book that had the rule of three, because we're going to discuss children's books as we start with this. So how did you both do with your book of the month? What did you find? Or And the other thing was to read the book and then to try to find the rule of three within that book, try to identify it. How did that work for both of you? Terribly. <laughs> really? I have no access to kids books. So I went off of looking for the rule of three in the book that I was presently reading, as well as looking back on fairy tales and like Aesop's fables and all of those kinds of things to see where uh, the rule of three is, if I could find it, and therefore how old a concept it is, which on that front, very successful. I constantly read kids books, so I ha I literally have a small like stack of them. I mean, a lot you'll of times graduate sooner, sooner or later you'll graduate. Well, eventually. I mean, I was on picture books. Now <laughs> we're on now we're on chapter books now because my son is six. It's also good for reference material for what I'm writing to see the format and all that sort of stuff. So I have access to a lot of them. The one I was reading was called Desmond Cole Ghost Patrol. I was looking through it, and it's about kind of like a Ghostbuster type duo, uh, young African American kid and young Hispanic kid. And they go throughout this neighborhood of, of this entire area that they live in. They do ghost hunting and strange events and stuff. But in this book, the first one, the only thing that I could kind of reference to the rule of three was that the three encounters that they had. They had the first encounter where he came into the house and the ghost kind of shifted all the furniture and lifted it up. And then his dad came in back and everything was normal. Another few scenes later, all the silverware turned into this giant silverware walking human form. The last type of encounter was the ghost is lifting up the couch and about to slime him. But it doesn't fall like the I'd have to try three things type rule for fairy tales. But three times they encountered this thing before it became his friend. And now it lives in his house and fixes all his broken things, which is kind of interesting, too. I need one of those. Yeah, yeah I'd I love a handyman ghost. And a silverware monster. Who wouldn't want a silverware monster? Yeah, well, it might be a little prickly. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't want to go, especially if they're made out of knives. I mean, it's... it's. Don't hug it. Yeah. Problem no. solved. We could just call it Stabby. It'd be fine. Exactly. That works. Stabby the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that was the same with me. Like, I, again, am on board books and picture books still. And there's a wonderful series called Gertie, Gossie, and Gus. They're these little ducklings that run around, run around and do wonderful things. And in the book that I looked at, Gertie lost her red rubber boot. She has a pair of rubber boots that she absolutely loves. And she woke up one day and one of her boots was missing. This story actually did follow the rule of three, where she went and looked under the haystack and it wasn't there. She went and looked in the barn and it wasn't there, but there was a spider. 
And then she went and looked in the pond and it wasn't in the pond either. And then when she was walking home from the pond, she realized her friend, I believe it was Gus, had taken one of her boots and it was on his foot. Thief. So the thief, what yeah, the that's hell? it. <laughs> but then, so they just walked around and they each had one boot on one foot and they just, I mean, ducks waddle anyway. So would you really notice that they're cute. Stuff? In kids' books is often, and not always followed, but often followed, is a rule of three when you have a children's story and a child is trying to solve a problem, you should generally att- have them attempt to solve that problem three times. Or in, like in Ted's case, they encounter the problem three times before they come to a solution. And when they do come to a solution, the important thing for children's book is that it has to be driven by the child, not by an adult or an older person. The children need to find the problem and solve the problem on their own. Though that's not to say they can't have a bit of assistance or advice from an adult, but they can't be the adult solving the issue. I will uh, say that in kids' books, though, like I found with picture books and board books, it was more obvious, right? And like, as it gets older, it's a little less obvious, I think, when it comes to kids' books. YA is probably non-existent, or if, if it is, it's probably you have to dig in and try to figure it out. But the younger books, like you're reading now, I think you, like for your daughter, right? I think it's definitely a prominent, kind of setup that they do for the story and that's yeah, but that also leads into yeah. what lj found is that the, the rule of three exists still in quote-unquote adult literature and normal books as we go along it's just it is like that's a lot more subtle how did you find it in yours lj so it was really interesting to see that it is something that is a much more subtle kind of plot device uh the book that i'm currently reading is war of the oaks by emma bull and Ooh. if you haven't read anything by her you should. She's a wonderful human being to go along with being a wonderful writer. It was interesting because I wasn't expecting necessarily to find it because I wasn't looking for it, didn't do it specifically for the podcast. And I found it very interesting because instead of the three-act structure necessarily being followed very strongly, and admittedly I haven't finished it, there are three very important fairies that show up by the midway point that you don't realize necessarily are fae until other interesting events happen for you to realize who all three of them are. And it was just beautifully done and very subtle for the most part. And it is just an interesting way to see that we like that three number when it comes to our literature and our character balances and whatnot. And then when I was looking at some of our older stuff, as far as like fairy tales and whatnot, you have, you know, Rumpelstiltskin with being asked three times, you know, or giving three opportunities to guess his name. You've got Goldilocks and the three bears. We we just, we see it very often. Yeah, well, look we at do. the Christmas Carol. Yeah. Three ghosts, past, Ooh. present, and future. That's another great example of having to go through three challenges to get to the realization that he was an asshole. And to put it cleanly, for those of you that may not know, read directly from Wikipedia, the rule of three is a writing principle that suggests that a trio of events or characters is more humorous, satisfying, or effective than other numbers. The audience of this form of text is also thereby more likely to remember the information conveyed because having three entities combines both brevity and rhythm with having the smallest amount of information to create a pattern. So one, one thing that I like to point out with it as well, with the rule of three in adult writing, you know, if we talk about the hero's journey, where they pass the threshold, pass the point of no return, they go into the trials. That's actually right. It's in the title as well. The allies, enemies, and trials, or test allies and enemies, however you want to put it. It is a pattern of three as well. But generally, when the new protagonist who's about to become the hero in the hero's journey, they don't go out with their new abilities and test something once, fail, and then 
it all clicks and they become the hero that they're going to go through. They generally go through at least three challenges and they fail each time they learn as they go along. So we even see that in you know, the hero's journey. We can see it in a lot of different places. Well, and if you look at some of the prominent children's fiction, um, not necessarily picture books and, and board books. I leave that for you guys with small children. But I know looking at things like Harry Potter, you have the hero trio with Harry and Ron and Hermione. You have the Deathly Hallows. You have the Triwizard Tournament. There are often a lot of these things that how we can pull in three is a very satisfying number, especially since it does prevent that neat pairing off. You can't make it any smaller easily without it being, you know, a, a one to two. Whereas if you go with an even number, like a, a four, you get, you can pair off and then those two groups can go and do something else and it makes it easier to split. Whereas when you have the trio, it's the, a trio is going off to do something and they are probably going to end up sticking together through that process. Exactly. And one of the best ways that I've heard it when we're talking about this kind of concept for listing things, one is an absolute, two is divisive. Three is a complete, three is a connection, three complete is telling kind of a complete story and it's very comforting and there's something about it that we connect to. And four or more is just a list. Yep. Now you're just listing things. So that's three is kind of that sweet spot that you want to find and get into. And that is actually a direct quote from Roy Peter Clark, the author of Murder Your Darlings. So the rule of three does factor in to a lot of different writing, but we should probably pause just momentarily for our next recommended reading. Our next topic is going to be, and this is going to give another hint as to what the overall arc of next season will be, is ideas and conceptualizing for story writing. So the book that we're recommending for that and to get yourself ready for the next season is by Will Storr, and it is a book called The Science of Storytelling. Why Stories Make Us Human and How to Tell Them Better. So going back to the idea of the rule of three and just touching upon kids literature again for just a moment, why do the children in the children's book need to be the ones driving the story? Well, I think it's because a lot of times it's them going on a learning and a journey to learn some sort of moral or value or necessary lesson. I mean, you can't rely on adults to do everything. My son is very independent at six, constantly tells me that, uh, nope, I don't need your help. And I'm like, okay, the stories kind of reflect that, I think. Because again, you're teaching the kids a lesson. I think with the rule of three, too, that factors in where it is exactly what you were saying, where it's a matter of teaching them the uh, concept of resiliency and yeah. that you're not always going to get things on the first try. And that sometimes you have to try two, three or four five times. Even having the three attempts, right? It teaches kids that it's okay to fail. You're not always going to succeed. But what you see in these stories as they go through the second attempt is that they're learning from it and they're trying something new. Okay, well, that didn't work. And then they try it again. And maybe that's the time it does. A lot of times kids, I find, you know, especially at a, at a young age and, you know, be honest, even some adults, when they don't succeed, they can't handle it. Right. And I think it's a good life lesson for all kids. Even at three years old, I kept telling us like, it's okay. Let's look at what you did. Let's try it again. And most of the time he would succeed, you know, after a few other attempts, but the rule of three kind of is a really good groundwork for realizing that failure basically builds success if you learn from your mistakes. And I think the other reason why it's no adults are allowed is because as we all know, parents just don't understand. Parents That's right. Get it. And they, they never listen. How many stories Thank have you read? Thank you, Fresh Prince. 
But how many stories were you read where the kids, or even myself, written where the kids are like, no, it was a ghost that came and did this thing. The parents are like, yeah, no, ghosts don't exist. So the kids are kind of oh. left on their own anyways because parents just don't have the time or the care or they just don't understand. My wife does that all the time. I'm like, I talk about something very early on. And I'm like, oh yeah, and then the goblins. And she's like, there's no such thing as goblins. I'm like, oh, seriously, give me a minute here. He's, he's imagining these things. Don't ruin it. <laughs> You've got to nurture that imagination. Oh, he has a lot of imagination, regardless of my wife's denial of the existence of awesome things that I want to exist. I think it would be a disservice to, you know, my nephews and, and your guys' kids to completely categorically state these things don't exist and you shouldn't believe in them because they don't. As Neil Gaiman put it really well, it's, and I'm going to end up paraphrasing, it's not that, you know, fantasy teaches us that dragons exist. It teaches us that dragons can be beaten. And if we want to, you know, especially when you're a kid, if you are reading a book and it is, you know, against, you know, dragon slaying or it's, you know, goblin slaying or, you know, time travel or finding that little boot. If you start telling kids like, no, you can't use that as a good allegory or analogy for struggles in your own life because those things aren't real, you're just damaging them in so many ways, as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to let you go and I'm going to sick you bo both on my wife. This way you think you can <laughs> stop her from, from <laughs> destroying all the cool fantasy stuff that I introduced my son to. Well, and that is just throwing back to, to topic a little, that is one of the really valid reasons to help put in concepts like the rule of three, where it is the try, try, try again, that as we get older, it's so easy to get bogged down in perfectionism and concepts of the, I have to do it right first try, or I'm going to get fired or I'm going to lose friends or any of these other things that are terrifying the older you get because we all get, you know, very stuck in our ways that it is so helpful to teach our, you know, teach kids as early as possible the idea of resiliency. We teach so many very valid lessons through fiction that, you know, I think, again, it's the you lose something, the more you start kind of, you know, telling kids that these things don't exist or they don't matter. Or, you know, when we start doing when they get into school and whatnot of the, oh, you didn't get that test perfect, you're a failure instead of the, OK, well, you made some mistakes, but here's how you learn from them. I think that's the big thing. And that's what we see with adult literature is the rule of three, like I was saying, in the hero's journey, where you see them try multiple attempts and they fail, but they learn from their failure and they pick up and they move on and they take that knowledge to move forward until they hit their darkest hour or the dark night of the soul. And then they recant back and forget everything they've lost temporarily or they've learned temporarily. And then they need a bit of a kick to build themselves back up. And I think that happens again, even with children, like Ted was saying that. So in normal literature, like we're saying, we see it in a variety of different things. So even in the Christmas story that I'm currently working on has a rule of three as well. There's three children that are involved in the story. And even my Halloween story, a short story I just did, I had three children involved. But again, the kids get pulled off to the North Pole through some form of magic, and they have to try to solve an issue in the North Pole to save Christmas. And they do attempt three things to get that resolution for themselves. So it does, I think it becomes natural. That's the thing that we see in art all the time. When I studied art, you're taught almost all of your setups. If you're doing an arrangement, if you're doing anything, it's always done in odd numbers. You know, three, five, or seven generally are the ones that you're working at. So there just seems to be something about odd numbers that are comforting. Exactly. It is something that is very prominent when you look at 
religions or into mythologies and whatnot. And if once it's one of those things that once you start looking for it, you will see it everywhere. So don't go too crazy on that. <laughs> But it definitely is something that you see a lot of, that there are groups of three or groups of odd numbers, for sure. Um, and yeah, I think that they're just kind of comforting. We could probably <laughs> do even do a whole talk about the numbers and the meaning behind each one of them, because there are so many. And even with the, the trilogies, a yeah. lot of these movies, a lot of the books, a lot of things come out, they get broken out into trilogies. But again, like Ted said at the beginning, the three-act structure as well. It says these things just have a natural flow to us as we go along. Does anyone have a particular favorite three movies, books, something, anything? If there's something that stands out to you that you're like, you know, that's my all, that's my go-to three. Well, my my go-to comfort trilogy is now the Devabad trilogy, which if you guys have not read it, you need to because it's written by S.A. Chakraborty. The Devabad trilogy is just an excellently done, kind of a, a modern yet ancient fairy tale style story. It is about a woman who accidentally summons a djinn and then she gets whisked away on this amazing semi-genocidal adventure. And it is, you know, adult fantasy. It deals with lots of difficult questions, but it definitely falls into the rule of three. It is a trilogy. There are three main perspective characters, and there are definitely sets of trials and tribulations that they go through that fit into that three act. And then if we're going for, you know, older trilogies that, you know, got me started on writing, we can't forget Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I like the Night Angel trilogy by Brent Weeks. It's very dark, ninja related, very different Eastern cultures. Brent Weeks is one, one of my favorite authors. I love uh, a lot of his books. But when it comes to movies, I'm always a big fan, obviously. Um, well, I guess Star Wars isn't a trilogy anymore, but the original is always good. I always love that. And regardless of how many times Lucas has wanted to update it with graphics and special effects and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Because there's been a lot of versions of these movies. Yeah, for me, I have to say, I there is one series that I absolutely love that I still go back and read. My wife, because we have so many books, she's like, why don't you just get rid of these? And I always fight and push back on it. It was kind of one of my, I'd say, real introduction into fantasy uh, with the Dragonlance novels. And oh, the yeah. three books by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman that I absolutely loved were The Time of the Twins, The Test of the Twins, and The War of the Twins with Carmen and Raslin. And that was, I just found their Dragonlance novels were just so beautifully written for the age category that they were written for. And they were fun to read. They were like just page turning. And I still, like I keep them, not only because I'd like my daughter to read them at some point, but I still actually will go back and crack open that box and reread the Twins trilogy. And then all the short stories that broke off from those. And then, you know, the other ones that came from it, it was just, they were just so well written. So now that you brought them up, I don't remember reading the series that had them um, or the Dragonlance books that had them in it, but I think it was the gnomes because my brother told me about this way, way back. Like he was a teenager, so I was not quite a teenager at the time. And we were talking about those books and he mentioned it's either, I think it's gnomes or something like that, that they could only count to three. So the king of the gnomes was the one who could count to four. Four, yeah. which I think is another, again, an excellent use of the number three in a novel <laughs> for just fantastically memorable things that make very little sense, but are fantastic either way. Yeah, you're going to have to send me that because I don't even know what that is, but that sounds amazing. 
Because yeah. that, is, right? that is a really great thing. All gnomes can only count to three, but the king, four. Four. Listen, I'm trying to remember four. if I read most of the Dragonlance novels. I'm trying to remember. I remember that there was a bunch of them that were in there, but that was actually, there was the one, because I know the gnomes, one thing I loved about the gnomes too is that in this that series is that there are these very fastidious group of creatures that are constantly very bureaucratic so if something if you come to them with a problem they would have to create a work group that would then spend the next three months working on the, like work grouping whether or not they should take on the project and then spend another six months creating another work group to develop a work group to look into how to solve the problem <laughs> so ants yeah <laughs> it was just this <laughs> constant thing like and then they had this my favorite thing that he reminded me is they had this giant tower with no elevators and because they were inventors the gnomes were inventors and they would use slingshots so you'd go on the ground floor and they would slingshot you up at like 30 stories to get onto the level that you needed to be at <laughs> but because there's so many accidents once you got past a certain height then these arms would come out with nets and they would catch you if you fall and you would always fall because their inventions never worked so you would fall and this net would bring you in like three or four stories below where you needed to be that um, is amazing like i said the writing was just ingenious it was brilliant it was yeah. a lot of fun tasselhoff was a kender and he was just always like stealing stuff and like little pickpocket thief and very memorable characters and wonderful stuff he also drove a really cool car <laughs> no one gets that joke come on <laughs> Knight Rider, David Hasselhoff. Sorry. Oh, Hasselhoff. Very okay. There you go. Sorry. Yeah. I, sorry. Anyway. There we go. So the rule of three does come up in a lot of different ways. And I think that's also not just in literature. We see it in television shows. We see it in movies. Uh, we see it all over the place. And a good way of using the rule of three as well. And another thing I got from Corey Peter Clark is the concept of breaking the rule of three, setting an expectation yes. and breaking it. So if you've got, for example, the U.S. Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you're setting up the alliteration, the LL, and then the really long thing. Uh, but even like snap, crackle, and pop from the Rice Krispies. The snap and crackle are two very sharp sounding breaking sounds. And then pop is a different sound. So it kind of, you set up this pattern of expectation and then you break it. And that can allow the pattern the rule of three to stick out even more in the mind of someone. Yeah, I have enjoyed breaking the rule of three because I originally was trying to write a trilogy and then characters got in the road and informed me of other lengths of series that now it's going to probably end up hitting that lovely odd number of either five or seven because as I'm not sure I can just end on a four that doesn't seem quite right and neither does six. So I feel like in some ways it's the, I want to commit to figuring out how to do either one of those two options. <laughs> That's where you do I a mean, prologue or a encyclopedia or something yeah. to go if you need to offset it. Cause that's the thing is that odd numbers are odd. Even numbers are uncomfortable. Yes. We got to tell that to Christopher Paolini then, because he needs to really continue that uh, Aragon thing after the fourth book. He's, he needs one more then, one more. That's what I think it is. <laughs> so look at even Wheel of Time is 17 books. Now the story is 14 books, but then there's an encyclopedia, there's a prequel, and then there's another offshot book for it as well. So That's a handful of books. <laughs> yeah, I think overall it was over 4 million words, that story. So that's, there we have it. That is, I think we've delved down into the rule of three pretty, uh, pretty well, pretty deeply into this. The uh, LJ, do you want to give our homework for the month? 
Our homework for the month, the last piece of homework for this season is just for the writers, but, and I encourage readers to go and just try it anyways, because you can get more out of your, what you read if you do write. And that is to write a short story or flash fiction using the rule of three and using it in whatever way you want to, whether that is a three act story, the three attempts or however, whatever you want to do with it. Just use that rule of three at some point in a short or flash fiction. Any final words before we wrap up? I don't think so. Nope. Though I feel like we need three words. Oh, that's a good point. I, now I got to think of what my word would be. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I guess I guess the last thing I would say is just like you said, look for it because it's everywhere and don't go too overboard because you might get lost in looking for it because there's a lot out there that applies to the rule of three. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. And thank you again to my co-hosts my the, for the three scribes for this. Uh, this is the final episode of this season one of the scribes journey. So thank you all very much for coming along this first section of the journey with us. We very much look forward to continuing our journey with you in season two. So until then, I would like to say thank you to my co-host for being here and for being a part of this, for all of the viewers that are watching this being recorded live, and to everyone who is listening to this as a podcast. And with that... You've learned about the rule of three. Now go sharpen your quill and get back to writing.